welcome to the month where we are at our most powerful. It's pride. <laughs> I'm about to be really just insufferable on my social media for my straight family. <laughs> Seriously, if you follow the out loud or the queer halftime social media, um, about to be prepared to see about a hundred posts a day. Yeah, about Pride Month because it's the season. Tis the season to be gay. Um, season. And this is Queer Halftime. My name is Becca. I use she, they pronouns. And I'm here on the big queer couch with Kelsey. Ew, I've realized that our couch isn't very queer. It's like a muted, it's dirty queer, green. It's queer by the fact that we are on it. Mm. We're also getting a rainbow carpet donated. So that's fine. Making the queer couch more queer. We usually have a rainbow blanket, but you win some, you lose some, I suppose. Yeah, you still have your spinner right now. I know. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I'm not you thought you could get away. Oh, I tried. Uh, my gring. Your gring. My gring. Your gay ring. Um, so instead of like a concept of the week, we have started putting out like a little suggestion box or question box for our kiddos. Um, and we got our first question. <gasps> and it was, how do I come out as trans? Mm. And we actually asked one of our kiddos, who is like the professional comer outer for his friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some advice. Yeah, this question came from like a nine-year-old, I believe. And I so. the advice that we asked is from a 13-year-old. And like, when you're in that age group, you don't want 30-year-old advice, you know? <laughs> like, like, I can't advise how to come out to a nine-year-old because that's, it's a very different experience. Also, I didn't come out when I was nine. Yeah. I didn't come out until I was 25. And that was like, safer. Yeah. So it's cool that we have like a community that we can ask these questions to. So yeah, our tiny, I say tiny, he's regular size. That's just, I'm like anybody that's younger than me, I call a tiny human. Yeah. That's like my toxic trait. <laughs> um, so yeah, our little tiny human have some words of wisdom for you, friend. Yeah. So um, probably the first thing he said was make sure if By some reason, something goes wrong, make sure you have a safe person, Mm -hmm. someone that you can stay with or who can come pick you up Mm -hmm. um, just in case, you know, things break bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing you can do is have a safe person kind of run interference Mm -hmm. for you. So if you come out to, you know, your parents and they're cool with it, they can handle the sibling conversation or they can handle the grandparents or aunties and uncles. Um, that's kind of what Kelsey did unsuccessfully. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they don't handle that. So just be prepared. Um, but yeah, like we had some really cute suggestions, like yeah, for how to actually how to have do the it. conversation, like make a playlist, bake a gay cake. Yeah. So some really fun stuff. If you want to do it, you know, really fun other than, you know, sitting them down on the couch, we've had kids send text messages, mm-hmm um who set up like a whole mother child day uh and then didn't check it out but just didn't the time wasn't right Mm -hmm. and then they sent a big text as soon as their mom went to work Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I think that the most important thing about this answer is like there really isn't there's no one way way. yeah it's you know the people you're coming out to better than we do yeah um so you really have to judge it but yeah just again make sure you're safe Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure put on coming out, especially like coming out day, um, which I kind of hate a little bit. I hate it too, but <laughs> we celebrate. That um, but if you're, you know, sometimes you got to choose your safety, mm-hmm. right? But if you're, I mean, this kiddo, they get brought here by their parents. So they've at least had that conversation. Totally. 
Um, so yeah, if you want your parents to run interference for you, you can do that. Um, or if you just want to, you know, sit down with grandma and grandpa yourself, um, you can still talk to, you know, one of your parents beforehand and they can help prep you. Like, um, if you're a parent listening to this and you're on the other side of this and your kid has come out, they want to come up to their grandparents, you know, just make it very clear. Like, Hey, I don't know how this is going to go, but I will support you. I will take your side. Mm-hmm. Even if it means we don't see grandma and grandpa for a while. Totally. And I think another important thing to touch on is like, you don't have to come out. You know, we say that we hate national coming out day because like, why do we have to come out? Like, I feel like I come out every five minutes in every single conversation and like, you don't need to, you know, like if you're going through something that's different, if you're exploring your gender identity, if you're exploring your sexuality, you don't need to kind of share that with anybody but yourself. Um, Sometimes to label things. Yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure for labeling too. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And so some kids joke, they're like, I've come out to my parents, you know, 12 times. Um, you know, and then you have people like one of my relatives who is 17, we're all like, we know, you know, Mm -hmm. she's not straight, but she's 17. She doesn't have to know. She's still figuring out, you know, she's still figuring out stuff. Totally. Yeah. And you know, yeah. Like you may come out a hundred times a year. You may come out a hundred times a day, or you may come out once and then never again. Yeah. All of those experiences are totally valid. And I think the important thing is just to make sure we're not putting the boxes around them. Yeah. You know, get, get out of that. We're not gatekeeping the coming out process. It will look like whatever you want it to look like. Um, and sometimes it'll look like things you don't want it to look like, but that's yeah. when you reach out to community like us or like your friends or your supportive family or your GSA or your safe teacher or whoever. And you kind of surround yourself with, you get, you put yourself in your gay bubble. Yeah. It's our teens have a discord server, Mm -hmm. um, that they are all on. And that is a wonderful place for them to find support. Totally. And sometimes that's all it takes, you know, like oftentimes we kind of poop on, see how I didn't swear there. Um, (laughs) we kind of poop on kids for like doing so much online and like, Oh dear God, we've got to get them in to meet other people. Those online communities can be so freaking supportive. I have yeah. an online community. You have an online community, I'm sure. I don't yep. actually know, but um, but I would assume. The you know? kids found out that I have Discord the other day and they're like, what? I don't have Discord, but I like I have Instagram, right? Yeah. And I have people that I know from other places on Instagram. And I don't think that those relationships are any less valuable than the relationships I have in person. So why would I kind of put that on a kid? You know, one hundred percent, right? And it's a really, you know, if you need support and it's you know late at night or if you live far away, um, you know, we have some kids with long distance partners. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a really good way to keep in touch and get support um, when you feel alone. Yeah, absolutely. So, if you're like, "How do I come out?" We wish we had a direct answer. <laughs> I'm so sorry, um, but whatever you choose to do is right. Yeah, and however we will you choose to do it, support you. Yeah. And we are here, we are on your side, we are behind you, and so are our 60 children. Yeah. It's a long line. It is. It's a long line. (laughs) And speaking of our 60 children, we were speaking to one of them Mm -hmm. yesterday because I, you know, it's Pride Month. I had kind of this concept of um, the topic I wanted to do this week. And so I thought, you know, I'd run it by them, especially this one kid who's a big fan Mm -hmm. um, of the podcast. And so I said, hey, what do you know about Stonewall? And he drew a complete blank. Which is not their fault. This is not no. something you learn in school. So much of our history has to be sought out by us. You know, you mm-hmm. have to kind of do your own digging. 
So we thought we would do a little bit of a rundown of a massively influential event in our history. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say one of the biggest. What's the reason we have Pride of June? Absolutely. So what do you, how do you want to start it? You want to give a whole spiel? Let's Becca's ready. Do I'm here for the ride. A little bit of context first. Um, because it wasn't just not acceptable to be queer. It was illegal. Mm-hmm. So um, in the, so Stonewall, the uprising itself happened in the early hours of June 28th, 1969. Um, and but, by early hours, we mean, we mean like 3 a.m. Yeah, like very, hours. very late at night um, or early in the morning. <laughs> um, so in the decades leading up to this, kind of after the um, Second World War, there was kind of this backlash against anything other. There was um, wanting a return to American values because this happened in New York. Um, (laughs) and there was, you know, this thing called McCarthyism, which was like hunting down communists. And part of the reason that so many, um, they referred to them as homosexuals, um, were, you know, kind of targeted is because they thought they could be easily blackmailed Mm -hmm. because it wasn't something that was acceptable. So, you know, thousands of, uh, people were, you know, discharged from the military, hundreds more lost jobs in government and public service. Um, but it wasn't just losing jobs. Mm-hmm. Like the cops kept lists of quote unquote known homosexuals, mm-hmm. their friends, where they hung out. The post office kept lists of mm-hmm. addresses that got mail that had to do with homosexuality. Cause that's the big term they used. Mm-hmm. It was, we didn't have as many terms as we do now. So I'm going to use a little bit of outdated language and I will explain what it means. Um, just so if you come across it, when you're doing some digging, you will understand. So very illegal like cops would sweep neighborhoods they would have they would try to entrap people they would have young good-looking cops um dress up as gay men to try to entrap people um and we got to hear martin boyce one of the uh veterans of stonewall say that you could always tell the cops by their shoes Mm -hmm. and that is still true today kids if you go to a protest you can usually tell undercover cops by their haircut and their shoes. Mm-hmm. You may also see a baggy shirt uh, because of a Kevlar vest. They will most likely have an armband mm-hmm. to um, kind of signify them to their cop buddies. Um, I'm totally going on a tangent, but this is important to know. Um, handcuffs or zip ties might be in their pockets. Uh, yeah, they'll be covering up any tattoos. Uh, and they're quite often the ones trying to incite violence. And I mean, yes, not all cops, whatever. But for the sake of this conversation, which is about Stonewall, all cops. Yes. So (laughs) that's kind of setting the scene. So the first rule you learned as a young queer person was do not trust the cops. Mm -hmm. They are not your friends. They will. And like, if you get arrested, you don't just get arrested. You get your name and picture published in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. It ruins people's lives. You have like a criminal record now that yeah. flat out says that you are a criminal because you are a member of this community. And not only a criminal, it was also classified as a mental disorder yeah. under the DSM by the American Psychiatric Association. Mm-hmm. So it was also linked with pedophilia. So a big part of this was them trying, like, was the worry. That although, aside from the queer community or the homosexual community, 
being like infiltrated by the KGB because we all know we're all scared of the Russians. Um, (laughs) But besides that, it was, they're hurting our children. And it's like, and we, that's where this whole keep them away from my kids. It's still, you still hear that today. I don't know what's happening. Papua New Guinea is phoning me. Oh Oh, my goodness. Eh, Who's Papua New, is that your dad? What? No, Papua New Guinea is a country. Oh, it's a scam. I thought you said Papua New Papua Guinea. Guinea. Oh, Papua um, New Guinea. <laughs> sorry for that distraction, anyway. folks. My phone wasn't on airplane mode. Um. Anyways, so yeah, I can't remember the tangent I was on, but whatever. Don't it trust was. cops. Don't trust cops. Um. The other thing is, we were a very isolated community, mm-hmm. so. It wasn't just, you know, gays versus lesbians versus, you know, trans people. It was different types of gay men versus other types of gay men, right? It was very, very segmented. And in New York, they kind of found a little home in Greenwich Village and Harlem, Mm -hmm. right? So those were their little gay hubs. And so this kind of leads us to the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, which is, was actually owned by the Genovese family, which was a mafia family mm-hmm. in New York. And they paid the cops weekly uh, because they also didn't have a liquor license. They didn't have fire exits. There was no running water behind the bar. Um, but it was one of the, I think the only gay bar that allowed dancing, mm-hmm. right? Because dancing with other people of the quote unquote same sex uh, was, it was very bad. It's unholy. It's yeah. (laughs) And it's illegal. And not only was that illegal, but cross-dressing as they called it was also illegal. I know your eyes switching wearing quote unquote opposite gender clothing was illegal. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which means I couldn't have shopped in the men's section, which is my favorite. So Kelsey's outfit would be illegal. (laughs) My whole outfit. Yeah. Because everything I'm wearing is from the men's section down to my shoes. (laughs) So like I would be arrested. Yeah. And I mean, there was, you know, a huge issue with, you know, if businesses were found to be friendly to our community, Mm -hmm. they would get protested. They could get shut down. It was a really, really bad time. Mm -hmm. And cops during these sweeps were often really violent Mm -hmm. and they raided these bars all the time, um, you know, to meet a quota or to get a bigger payout from the Genovese family. Like, it was a really, really bad situation. And mm-hmm. there was a really long buildup to this night, right? It was kind of a release valve. It was mm-hmm. all this steam building up and building up. And then we get to the night of June 28th and suddenly everything just explodes. So, this is where it gets super complicated because I do this all the time. It's technically the night of June 27th. Yes. So it's the night of June, June 27th. 27th. The riot or people call it a riot. I prefer uprising. Yeah. Um, happened, yeah, June 28th. In the morning, like. Yeah, at like morning. Right, so it's like, it's this weird thing where a lot of people, like, you'll see some people, like, you'll see people kind of recognize both dates, Yeah. right? So the 27th and the 28th. And if you do see that, that's why. It's just because it was like this, just the timing of it. Yeah, So. so people are dancing, people are having a great time in the Stonewall Inn. Police show up, not unheard of, right? Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. But again, our community had been taking so much crap for so mm-hmm. long and the police were being really, really rough. So there, 
there were a couple issues. So there was a butch lesbian named Stormy DeLavery um, who was handcuffed and who, when she complained about her cuffs being too tight, was punched in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was actually rumored to have thrown the first punch mm-hmm. at Stonewall. Um, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. There was also, you know, people being thrown really violently into what was called a paddy wagon, which for our younger listeners is basically a cop van where they throw all the arrested people in and take them to jail uh, to be processed and, you know, published in the papers. And they had people lined up on the side of the street and were forcing them to take off their clothes to prove their gender. Yeah. So it was like, you're on the side of the street. It's the middle of the night. You've just been arrested. You're in handcuffs. And now you're told to drop your pants. Or some of the, like some of the game weren't allowed to redress because some of them were, you know, shirtless. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And it was, it was really, really demeaning. And then it started with kind of one of the people being thrown in the paddy wagon kind of kicked a cop, right? Fought back because they were being really, really rough. And this cop didn't take it well. And, you know, trigger warning for violence against um, our community, but he took out his baton and did some immense violence to this person in the back of this paddy wagon. Mm-hmm. And Stormy was um, said to have shouted, isn't anybody going to do something? Mm-hmm. And she was said to have thrown the first punch. And that's where things completely kicked off. Our community, again, like I said, they were really isolated. They were different fragments. Mm-hmm. But tonight it was trans women butch lesbians gay men like all these people fighting next to each other people as one color, community right like racism was a really big deal back then yeah. and like people of color were pairing up with you know pe- not people of color us white folk and we're standing next to each other and yeah like throwing bricks <laughs> like yeah, you know bricks bottles throwing punches yeah. um martin boyce had a really funny story about um because the he calls it the gay community but that was kind of the catch-all at the time yeah um they knew this turf of Greenwich Village better than the cops and so they actually got around behind the cops who were chasing them and did a little bit of a like yoohoo are you looking for us um and then you know so this keeps going on for a while and then the riot police show up and they were by all accounts actually a little bit confused because they were used to fighting Black Panthers and insurgents Mm -hmm. um and they see all these queer people who are let like have you ever looked at a group of queer people because we're Especially not very intimidating a group who have been out clubbing for a couple hours yeah and dancing like, and are terrified to be caught by the police like that's like it's like we're not an attractive group of like you know what I mean like we're not scary I mean we're attractive we're, we're attractive scary. but we're not scary <laughs> like we're not like wielding guns and weapons yeah and like like we're just um, a bunch of queer people half naked and Martin actually mentioned that they knew they had to get the riot police to attack them first. Mm-hmm. So they like started a kick line um, and were like dancing towards them, which is just so funny. Um, but yeah, so this goes on. Nobody died, but there was immense violence done. So mm-hmm. one of the people who is still alive uh, was called Miss Major, who is one of the um, drag performers, trans woman. Um, she actually had her jaw broken by police when she was taken to jail. Um, you know, again, Stormy got just beat up. Mm-hmm. There were so many people just, yeah, there's blood everywhere. It was, it was a really bad night, mm-hmm. right? Riot police crashing with and people of our community. And it was, it was rough. It was brutal. And it was this 
just let go of all these like months and years of buildup mm-hmm. that had been happening. And it was just a final straw. Like we cannot take anymore. And I think that's something that's really important is to give some context, right? So let's think about this. This is 1969. Yeah. What year was your mom born? Actually, so it's really funny. She was born two weeks before this. Oh, okay. So she only had to live in a pre-pride world for two weeks. So my mom was born in like, God, she would kill me, but she doesn't listen to this. Like 1964 or something like that. Maybe. Yeah, my dad was two at this point. So my mom was like, I don't know, like seven or eight, um, which means my grandparents, you know, would have been in their prime um, and they lived in the States, you know, like my grandparents lived in the States for a while. So my grandparents could have been at a bar down the road from Stonewall while all of this was happening. Oh yeah. Living their life, dancing. My mom is in her early fifties. Like she's not old. This did not happen forever ago, forever and ever ago. Right. And I think we see a lot of black and white photos, especially of some of the trans leaders of the movement who I will get to, Mm -hmm. um, they're in black and white. And we've talked about this before. It's an actual like deliberate technique to make it seem further in the past. Yeah. Right. And so at most, if you're being really generous and include the people who came later, there were at most 150 uprisers or rioters. Mm-hmm. Currently there are, I believe seven still alive. Um, and again, they wouldn't really be old, but most of them died of drugs. Mm-hmm or AIDS. And we are going to do um, an episode on the AIDS crisis at some point because we lost an entire generation Mm -hmm. to that. It was absolutely devastating. And that was in the eighties and nineties primarily. Mm -hmm. So that's why we only have a few. There's a couple who, you know, um, died a little later on of disease, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, yeah. It was results of trauma, right? Like results of trauma and the AIDS crisis. And those are two things like we see the impacts of trauma on the queer community every day and kids are still dying because of the impacts of trauma but like this was this was trauma in ways that like some of us can't even imagine I can't get arrested for what I wear at least not wearing men's clothes people don't care but like to think that I could have walked out of my house and the wrong person could have been driving down my street and I could have been picked up right then and there yeah that's absolutely mind-blowing well and some this is also a time where people would do vigilante Mm -hmm. justice right so again trigger warning but there were a lot of people in our community who were killed absolutely um just by random civilians or by police through immense violence so this was really like i said it was a breaking point they could not take anymore Mm -hmm. um if they you know just kept taking it and taking it they would die and so I want to address two names that come up a lot, uh, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Yes. So Marsha first. So interesting. So this is one person you see a lot of black and white photos, like we mentioned. So Marsha P. Johnson was a trans woman of color and she was not there at the beginning, but she did show up later in the night and was a big part of the week following mm-hmm. um, and also did a lot of activism. So like... Um, she was part of ACT UP with the AIDS crisis. She did, she started so many different organizations. I'm so sorry. The names are escaping me. One of them, the acronym is STAR. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember exactly what it means, but it was, yeah, a lot of trans activism, uh, drug user activism, all these things, right? Absolutely wonderful. And then there was her friend, Sylvia Rivera. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually, we actually aren't sure if Sylvia was at Stonewall. 
Um, she would have been 17 at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's conflicting stuff, uh, but she did do really incredible activism alongside Marsha and separate um, because she actually outlived Marsha mm-hmm. by a couple decades. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple of the really big names. People like to say Marsha through, you know, the first brick, the first brick, not true, but still an absolutely amazing human being. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so there was kind of some more skirmishes in the following week. Um, like I said, no one died, but it, it made a statement. We fought back and we fought together. Mm-hmm. And it led to the first March, right? Yeah. The first so that's March. a year later in, I believe, four cities. It was New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the fourth, but I, I it's always the primary three. And then that fourth one always loses. Me. I don't remember. Um, I'm sorry, fourth city. You're valid too. You we are. Um, but yeah, so a year later in commemoration, there was a march and it started very, very small in New York. It was only mm-hmm. a handful of people, but they started marching and throughout the day, they picked up more and more people and it became like an army mm-hmm. of our community and our supporters. It was this huge, huge group. And it was this statement of, we are here, we will not be ignored and we will not be treated like this anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't keep doing this to us and have us not stand up for ourselves. Yeah. And people, whenever anybody is like, where did the pride parade come from? It came from that march. Yeah. You know, so a lot of times when there's a march, sometimes it looks like a parade. <laughs> Uh, because you got a lot of people doing the same thing in a group you know it's important to stay grounded that like the first pride was a riot yeah and that's a slogan you hear a lot but I I feel like a lot of our young kids don't fully understand so the sort of the parents of pride were a lot of trans women of color Mm -hmm. right like they are part of the reason we have this was their activism yeah right and then you know like there were lesbians standing by their side they were gay men there were like all these different communities and I want to say um to all the bisexuals pansexuals all those people out there um you didn't have your own terms you were kind of lumped in with them but you were there you were there you were there this was the entire community standing together and yeah that's why we have pride and that's why Pride is, you know, such a delicate balance of support and celebration, but also protests. Yeah. Like we're protesting the things that we as a queer community kind of face every single day. We're protesting for our, you know, black family members. We're protesting for our family people of color that for are family our members, siblings. for our trans siblings. Like we we as white people put ourselves in a place to be very, very visible on that day. I always look at it as a representation of like, I'm, I want to take the visibility that day so that the people that face oppression in ways that I could never understand can just enjoy their day. You know, it's like you bring a ton of people together and you surround yourself around a community and it does it makes that community safer which is also why you hear so many people talking about like if you're a white person and you're an ally and you're gonna go to pride be ready to put yourself between yeah and queer so, people and whoever else is there that needs to be 
So this is part of, there's also always been a conversation about cops at pride Mm -hmm. and it's a really, really contentious issue, Mm -hmm. but this is where it started. Yeah. Right. It's because the very first pride was a protest against police brutality. And in a lot of ways, it's brutality that hasn't really stopped. Right. So in Canada, in the eighties, we had bathhouse raids, Mm -hmm. right. One of which here in Edmonton, we actually talked about, Mm -hmm. um, if you missed that episode, it is only on our YouTube because the audio was a bit weird, Yeah, but the audio on the video was all good. So if you want to learn about the Pisces, you can come check out the career halftime YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's kind of talked about as Canada stonewall a little Mm -hmm. bit, um, were the bathhouse raids out in Toronto, because it was the largest mass arrest in Canadian history. There were over 300 people arrested that night. Um, and even since then, like we, there have been so many, like, there have been so many deaths and so much violence done mm-hmm. and it hasn't really stopped. And so this conversation of cops at pride is really, really contentious. I know Kelsey and I have our personal feelings about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Especially like uniformed officers or getting a float. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where this all started where this conversation started, where those slogans started. So just to give you kind of that context. Absolutely. It's important to know because a lot of times I find communities like to walk around and kind of use key phrases and keywords and be like, oh, pride was a protest. But what does that mean? You know, like, and what does that mean to you? And what do you know about the history of pride? Because, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, pride is a protest, but what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Um, And as white people, we need to do some digging to figure out what that means to us, right? Because we live the privilege. People of color, especially queer people of color, face the worst discrimination ever, every single day. Not just because they're gay, but also because they're people of colors, you know? And like that intersectionality, it's important to acknowledge, especially this month, because we don't face that. I will be called a dyke, but I will never be called something because of the color of my skin. Yeah. And that's not like, I need to acknowledge that. I need to acknowledge that being queer and white, white and queer is safe. Yeah. Compared to being black and queer. I can't even imagine. Well, it's a little bit more palatable. Yeah. To kind of mainstream society, right? Um, It's this thing of you can have one aspect of your identity that is marginalized, but once you start compounding them, it's like the whole thing people were talking about with the election of Barack Obama. So Mm -hmm. you have white men. And then you can get a black man because he's still a man. Mm-hmm. He's a man of color. And then you get a white woman and then, <laughs> and then maybe a woman of color. Yeah. But that's two, that's two things is too much. Yeah. Right. That was sarcastic, obviously. <laughs> but like, those are things like that. Like I see that I have seen myself have to make myself more palatable since I have come out as non-binary. I, everybody loves me when they hear that I'm a member of the queer community. The second I tell them I'm not cisgender, they're like, wait a minute. I'm not sure about you, you know? Yeah. So imagine if that was something that you could just look at me yeah. and know, like what, an, like that's just like all the love in the world to the people of color, the queer, trans, black, indigenous people of color that are still fighting this battle for us so that we can have pride because this is, we need to, we need to acknowledge this. We need to acknowledge them. We need to surround them and make sure that when we are, you know, arranging events and stuff that everybody is safe and everybody's represented and sometimes you cannot always do that sometimes it's hard right sometimes pride month comes and you're trying to book performers that are booked at 14 different things the point is you have to try yeah 
you know, like, cause there's no excuse not to. Yeah. So, and like, this is probably getting a little preachy, but it's pride month. We're allowed to. Yeah. It's, it's our month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't want preaching, don't listen to this month's worth of podcasts. <laughs> Basically, but kind of even going off what we talked about last week with Blake, like providing support for our two spirit siblings mm-hmm. who are kind of counseling their people through their grief, right? And showing support, right? To all of our siblings of color mm-hmm. and our two spirit siblings and just kind of really being there for them because we can't understand what they're going through, but we can be a support. Absolutely. And we can give them a platform if that's what they want. And we can just, yeah, kind of take some of that brunt. Mm-hmm. Like I said the other day, you have to put your money where your flag is. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of been saying that ever since, so. but because Kelsey and I were talking about, we aren't comfortable putting up pride flags on our houses. It makes us a target. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we see a pride flag on someone else's house, I feel immediately safer. Absolutely. Right. But if you have a pride flag out and you see someone being harassed, you got to kind of put your money where your flag is and yeah. step in. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's what pride is. When people say, what is pride to you? Pride to me is making sure that every single person in my community knows that if I, and not just my community, but all the communities knows that if I have my way, we won't go back to fighting things in silos. You know, like I will be there with you. Like we will, we will never go back there. And I think you hear that a lot. Um, when we're talking about history, everybody's like, oh, we'll never go back. We'll never go back. But sometimes we do, you know, and it's important to acknowledge what is your role when we do go back there? Because like history repeats itself. People are trying to make us go back. Yeah. And so my favorite of that is the saying history never repeats, but it does often rhyme. Mm -hmm. Right. So it doesn't happen the same thing twice, but it is very, very reminiscent and you can take lessons. And so when people are trying to push us back, you have to fight back and use those bits of privilege, right? Like putting up a flag as an ally is privilege. Absolutely. And And using it it for good. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you some context on this whole flag thing. Like I, we don't have a pride flag even in our front yard. I have one in my backyard. I'm just a very tiny one, but I went to put one up in our front yard and we're just not, we we just haven't lived in our neighborhood long enough. And my partner was like, "I, I, I just don't know. And you know, after thinking about it a little while, I was like, wow, yeah, you're right. Probably not. Imagine being a person of color trying to put a pride flag up in your neighborhood. Yeah. Like that would just like, that would be hard, you know, that would bring a whole different level of visibility, especially if you're a queer person of color, because everybody might look at you and know that you're a person of color, but they don't always know you're queer. Yeah. Well, it's like wearing a target all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so do you have anything to add to this round? No. Cool. I think that's yeah. So I'm feeling ranty. <laughs> so this was kind of an introduction to some of our really important history. And I hope you liked it. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you, you know, kind of take it and run with it and maybe do some of your own research and figure out where you fit. Yeah, totally. And I kind of have two queer joys, but I'm gonna see if you do one of them because it's kind of more yours than mine. No, I don't think it is. Um, I don't know what you're talking about, but I feel like you can just take it. Go okay, ahead. so I have two. So the first one is the parade. We were on the Rainmaker Parade this weekend. Mm, right. We had a float. We had a whole bunch of our kiddos join us and they were wearing like flags as capes and they were covered in stickers and rainbows and it was incredible. 
And I had a friend from high school message me after I posted a picture and said that she cried when we went past Mm. because she's never felt so represented in St. Albert. And honestly, I kind of had a similar moment. Like I didn't cry, but I had a moment looking at all these kids who are so young and out and proud and feel safe being themselves. Mm -hmm. And we're like running around with their friends wearing trans flag capes and like, and singing and dancing on this float in front of this whole city. And like, it was amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. And like little teenage Becca could never. Seriously. (laughs) I can't even imagine. I would have never even been on a parade float as a kid. Yeah. I would have been too terrified. So yeah, it was really cool, especially because we have a few kiddos that sometimes I feel like feel hyper visible, but I think that this was like hyper visibility sometimes in a safe way is is helpful. And it's on your own terms, right? Absolutely. Oh yeah. So cool. The other ones are mascot. Oh, okay. So maybe I will okay, do, take yeah. this one. Okay. So, you know, hmm. talking about this actually makes me want to friggin' cry. Um, well, you don't have to go into no, it. So I, well, no, I don't want, but it's important, right? Okay. Like, so I am working on healing my inner child. And since we're so vulnerable on this podcast, I like to share this. Um, I have three younger siblings. Um, a younger brother, a younger sister, and then a younger sibling that is non-binary. And I don't have a relationship with my non-binary sibling or my younger sister um, because they live with my dad and we are very estranged. And my non-binary sibling is 20 now and is going to college for illustration and had started opening up their Instagram to commissions. Um, And we were able to commission a really cute character from my sibling and I kind of framed it in a like pick the character as a queer person that you wanted to see growing up yeah and the reason this brings so much joy is because we talk about characters at out loud all the time um we talk about show characters we talk about genders of books characters stuff you look at this mascot and you know nothing about them yeah you don't know their pronouns you don't know their name you don't know their gender you don't know their age. You don't know anything. Yeah. You know nothing about this mascot. So as time has gone on and like, so we just got this back last night and we happened to be with a couple kids and we let them see it. And then they sent it to all the other kids. And then we sent it to a couple other kids, but what I'm noticing in this mascot, and I don't know if you've noticed this, they all see themselves. Yeah. So we send it to one kid that is going through a transition and they'll be like, Ooh, I see a female to male, like, you know, this person with these pronouns, and then you send it to another kid and they're like, Ooh, I think this person's non-binary and uses like they, them pronouns. And it's like, this is, these are the characters we're trying to yeah. create for and these we're, kids. The kids are all figuring out what the names are. Yeah, They're also figuring out a name for queer halftimes ref, mm-hmm. um, our little ref in our logo, um, who we have figured out uses he, they pronouns, mm-hmm. we decided, but they're figuring out a name. Yeah. So if any of you have suggestions for our ref's name, uh, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, if you do art, if you do character development, if you make, cause we want to make a whole little family, just like take this and like, yeah, I, we will be posting about this character on our allowed page. Uh, it's, one of those delicate situations where I'm not a hundred percent sure how to post about it because I want to hype my sibling up so much. Yeah. Um, but also that's super weird because they live in Ontario and like, it's like, anyways. Um, but yeah, so like we will be posting about it. And I think the cool thing about this is like, 
when you talk about creating characters, this is what you want. You want a character that everybody can see themselves in. And I, they were so excited. I don't they know. Were so excited. I don't know one person that can't see themselves in this character. Yeah. And that is life-changing. We talk about representation all the time. Representation is as small as creating a character that doesn't have a gender and that you can't guess their gender by looking yeah. at them. You can just see that they're human and they're lovely. And well, this one isn't even human. Yeah, so, it like, looks kind of like a lynx. This is a cat. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, right? Like, and that's the thing. So yeah, Kelsey's running off because someone just came in. Hello. <laughs> so thank you for your time. Uh, be kind to yourself and others and we will see you next week. Bye. Perfect.